This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. And this week, we're talking about Thailand's ongoing pro-democracy protests. Thailand's transition toward and away from democracy has been rocky. After a bloodless revolution in 1932 that ended the absolute monarchy, Thailand has gone through 18 constitutions and 13 coups. Now, in the biggest protests since the 2014 coup, Thailand's youth, fueled by anger towards the military and the economic effects of COVID-19, are pushing back against the current government's return to royal absolutism. Well, the government has managed the pandemic effectively, with one of the lowest case counts and death tolls in Asia, the country remains in a state of emergency with quarantines, and yet the armed forces can move freely about society. Additionally, Thailand's trade and tourism-driven economy is in tatters. It has shrunk at a shocking 12.2% in the second quarter of the year and has persistently high inequality and rigid economic and social hierarchies that disproportionately disadvantage the young. Could this be a turning point for Thailand? Is there hope for a more democratic future? And is there a burgeoning pan-Asian democracy movement building in the region? To help us understand these issues, I'm joined by Pavan Chachaval Pongpun. Pavan is a Thai political scientist who lives in exile in Japan, and he is an associate professor at Kyoto University's Center for Southeast Asian Studies. Welcome to Deep Dish, Pavan. It's great to have you on. Hi, welcome. Hi. So if you could start off by just giving us a sense for these for these protests, how significant are they? How large? Who's participating in them? How do we understand these? Well, as, as you yourself said, that it could be a turning point in Thai politics. I have to agree with that. It, it will become a turning point in Thai politics because uh, the agenda of the student this time uh, could be different from what we have seen in the past. Uh, on the out, on the outside world, you, know, you could see this as a sort of anti-government protest. But indeed, uh, the student came up with uh, a proposal. This is very ambitious and it could be very dangerous because they want an immediate reform of the monarchy. So we can come back to this point a little bit later. But I, I just want to, to explain that this basically the gist of the current ongoing protests in my country, mostly driven by university students. And this time also, when I said a turning point, you could also see uh, the participation from even high school students too. Uh, the total number, I mean, it's very difficult to say, but I think it is large enough, at least it's feel the avenue of the democracy movement every time uh, is organized uh, a gathering there. And not only that, right now the protests sort of spread throughout the kingdom, not only necessary in Bangkok. And then when it, it go out to other provinces, you could also see that it's not only just about the student, but basically ordinary people. So uh, yes, this is the largest protest since 2014, and I must say the most ambitious, the most ambitious protests, perhaps maybe in a decade. And I guess the other thing that struck me is how sustained they are. For over a month now, people have been coming out onto the streets, which is a challenge. You talked about the demands of the protest, the program that they are promoting. What is it that they want? They want an immediate reform 
of the monarchy. Now we have to understand that why it has become uh, a big issue today. Talking about monarchy in Thailand is illegal. I mean, I'm I'm and I'm, I'm just saying talking. I'm not even talking about critical talking, because uh, this is a revered institution, and uh, he it has been protected by less majestic law. You know, which forbids any insult against the monarchy, and people could be locked up up to 15 years. So for a long, long time, people have been unable to discuss the monarchy. Uh, even though the monarchy has played an important part, and I would say that it has become the most important political institution in Thailand, but yet at the same time, for an institution that has affected our life on a daily basis, but yet the people could not discuss about the institution quite uh, openly. So I think this is one of the long-held frustration among the people. And it's now coincided with a lot of things going on in my country. You said at the opening remark about COVID, about the economic hardship, right? And then this came about, you know, at this critical juncture after the royal transition. Uh, I mean, I can talk about this, you know, for hours and hours and hours, why people become so frustrated. But just to end up here that, you know, the COVID in particular, even though we have less cases in Asia, but I think the way that the government handled, especially in blocking uh, freedom of speech, that has become a problem. And on top of that, when, when economic hardship hit the people really hard, they're looking at international news, and they see that king having a good time in Germany, and then they realize that this is not right. The monarch left the people behind. So I think all this combined, sort of, you know, becoming a key motivation that helps sustain month-long protests of the student. And could you give us a sense for how's the political system in Thailand work? What power does the king have? What power does the monarchy have? Also, uh, you know, it's a constitutional monarchy. The military obviously is, plays an important role um, in the country. Can you just map out a little bit about how the political system functions? Well, I mean, by the book, this is a constitutional monarchy. If you only close your eyes, you would dream or imagine that Thailand could be like United Kingdom and Japan. In, real, in reality, it's not. Thailand abolished absolute monarchy in 1932. But even since 1932, up to now, 88 years have passed. We haven't had a functioning constitutional monarchy, in particular during the previous reign under King Puipon Aduyadeh, you know, who was immensely powerful, that the king decided to operate outside the domain of the constitution, even though it, it was it is stipulated by the constitution that the monarchy has to stay above politics. But we have lots of evidence to show the king's continued intervention in politics. The king endorsement of so many military coups, and I have to give you this uh this statistic of Thailand having the most coup in Southeast Asia. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, we're the third in the world of having the most school, but yet we call our, our country democratic country. So this is how it works. The, the monarchy work closely with the military. They form a sort of interdependent relationship, working relationship that each depend on one another. This means defending the monarchy has become an utmost responsibility of, of the military. Defending the monarchy 
has been made equal to defending national security, and that has been the responsibility of the military. Now, for the military to defend the monarchy, meaning defending defending national security, the military gives itself political role. At the same time, the monarchy needs the support from the military in order to strengthen its own power position. This has been a solid alliance throughout the modern history of Thailand. You know, in fact, throughout the most of the second half of the 20th century, to the point that they managed to form a kind of political structure whereby civilian governments, elected government, have to be kept weak and vulnerable. If they want to survive, should they, po- should, they, should they pose as a threat to the power position of the military monarchy, they would be overthrown in the coup. And again, this has been sort of a traditional political system in Thailand for at least until, I would say, 2014, when we saw another coup coming. And in terms of the reforms that the protesters want, what are some of the specific things they would like to change in order to shift power inside of the system, reduce the power of the king, presumably, reduce the power of the, of the military in the system? What mechanisms do they want to use to do that? To sum up in one sentence first, they want the monarchy to be constitutional. But indeed, they propose 10 points. I would not. I would not go on to mention all ten points, but I would pick. <laughs> I would pick certain points, important points, which I think highlight uh, the reform of the student. Basically, they just want the king to be accountable, to be responsible. For example, they suggest that uh, the king, you know, anyone could file complaints against the king, especially if the king do something wrong. You see, the constitution under Article Six, you know, writ, uh, writ was. It's written in such a way that no one would be able to to accuse the king of doing anything wrong. That has to change. Then on top of that, you know, they also talk about uh, the transparency of the monarchy uh, in terms of, you know, the financial, the, the asset, the personal asset. Again, this is a footnote uh, to say that uh, the king is the richest monarch in the world with an estimate uh, asset of up to 60 billion US dollars. So recently, he took over the super-rich Crown Property Bureau under his own possession. So again, the, I think the student want to, want to make sure that, you know, this has to be more transparent. What belongs to the institution has to be separated what belongs personally to the king. Then, you know, the student go on to talk about the king's private army. There's no other monarch in the world Having private army, so because having private army, that that is a way for the king to maintain his political strength. That has to go. They also want to abolish less majesty law, meaning that anyone could criticize the king. And the last important point is that the student want the government to seriously investigate so many cases of abductions and killings of anti-monarchist dissident overseas. I'm not sure whether, you know, the, the, the audience here uh, are familiar with what's going on, that at least 9 to 10 anti-monarchist dissident living in Laos and Cambodia have been killed, abducted, forced disappeared, 
just because they criticize the monarchy by saying that the student sort of suggests the involvement of the palace and the heinous, heinous crime. So that takes me to exactly where I wanted to go next, which was the list of uh, reforms that they're proposing is, is obviously a fundamental change in the power relationships within the country. I, I would imagine that those in power are not pleased with this agenda. As you pointed out, you know, with those attacks and killings of dissidents, I could imagine that the, that the price to be paid by the protesters could be very high. How is the government responding to these protests? and how much danger is created for the protesters? First of all, I, I mean, I have to apologize not to mention so much about the government, but because, uh, because I think the government, th- because I think the, the student no longer want to attack the government, but go straight to, I wouldn't call, the, I wouldn't use the term attack. <laughs> I would say, you know, reform of the monarchy because the student realized that perhaps maybe the source of the problem rest on the monarchy rather than with the government. So so that's why I, I do not talk so much about uh, how the government uh, respond to the current reform. Reform. Now that you mentioned about uh, the, the government position vis-a-vis uh, the ongoing protest, yes, there's a price to pay for those who come out to criticize the monarchy. And as you have already seen in the past few weeks that the government started to employ legal tools in order to arrest uh co-leader of the student. That is the first step. Second step is that, you know, I myself set up a private Facebook group called Royalist Marketplace and it has become the, the fast, fastest growing social media group ever in Thailand. And then we have more than 1 million members. The, the, the world's 18 largest Facebook group. So where, you know, we provide a platform for serious discussion about the monarchy. So I do not want to, to talk so much on this, but I just want to say that the government have us, you know, striven to force Facebook to block its access in Thailand. So this is how the government sort of responded to what they think threats to the monarchy, arresting the people and also uh, blocking, you know, information, access to critical information about the monarchy. But I think knowing that the student have gone very far now with the, with the reform, I cannot foresee that the, 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 the student would back down. So this means that the decision now lie on the government, how the government would deal with the student, knowing that the student would not compromise. I think over time, the government will intensify tactics against the student. I am not sure which direction the government would head toward now, but I know that the end point of this game could be the use of force. And this is not uncommon in a Thai political context. Yeah, I understand that the Thai security forces used violence and even killed pro-democracy protesters back in 2010, also in the 90s and the and the 70s. Do you think that this set of events could lead to a response like that? Everything is possible in Thailand. And just when you think that, you know, they might not be that ruthless. We sort of, we prove ourselves wrong all the time. That when it, when government, when state, and when monarchy pushed to the corner, like in 1976, like in 1992, and in 2010, they were willing to use, to use you know, violent crackdown against protesters. So I think that it is possible. But I like to also think that we are now in 2020. Things might not be that easy as they used to do in the past. 
again, I'm not saying that it would be impossible. I just think that it is difficult. Why I think it is difficult? Because I think we are now in an era of social media that you know everything happened and people can see it. You know, real time. Just like we see, you know, thing unfolding, you know, in the Middle East, real time through social media. Uh, again, I would not give credit credit too much to the to the government that they would care about how the event would be portrayed or convey real time. But I think that's a lot to take. You know, for example, I give you uh, this instance that. Last week, uh, a core a core lead a core student leader was arrested. Immediately, he was he was on social media live every single minute of it until the next day he walked out of the police station. So social media here serve as sort of a real time witness of what going on. Not only that, is is serve as you know, a platform to mobilize people to come out more and more and more in support in, in support for their colleague, for their friend. So, should there be crackdown next time? I'm sure that it would be again broadcast live on social media. All eyes would be on the government. That would be a big a big test if the government really want to crack down, and this time on young students. Deep Dish listeners, I'd like to take a quick break in today's episode to invite you to join a live recording of our show with economist Thomas Piketty on September 1st at noon central time. Join us for a discussion on inequality in today's world and have a chance to ask our guests your most pressing questions after the show. Check it out by going to our website, thechicagocouncil.org. And I'm curious to get uh, some more flavor on how widespread the support is for this action. You talked earlier at the beginning about the fact that um, there's support across the country. It's not just focused in the capital. To what extent uh, is the population behind it or groups in the population? And are there forces in society also who want to hold on to the status quo? Well, I think that the base for the support of the student quite broad. And then I think more and more people started to come out of, out of their own closet. Because, again, this is not just an ordinary anti-government protest. This is a protest against the most important institution of Thailand, the monarchy, right? So I must admit that, though, that somehow this is sort of a student-led, intellectual-led protest. But as I mentioned at the beginning that you know, right now, it has gone into uh, ordinary people in a lot of provinces across the nation. And I knew it because I am running this Royalist market, Marketplace group. And people, you know, continue to send information, photo of their protests. I have seen almost every single province. You know, we have sort of 70-something provinces of Thailand. So it is quite widespread, uh, predominantly young, but then it, do, it, it does not really prevent, you know, all people to come out and support as well. I think I think just like students, you know, a lot of them, you know, older supporters, you know, they have been frustrated with what going what 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 going on in Thailand. And I think they told me that they are really pleased to see the student leading the protest right now. In many ways, uh, whatever happened in Thailand with uh, the student young student leader. It's not really too different from what we have seen in Hong Kong and in Taiwan. The so-called milk tea alliance, I really like this term. Yeah, tell us, what, what does that mean, the milk tea alliance? Milk tea happened to be 
popular drink, you know, in this part of the world. And in these three locations, we have our own different type of milk tea, <laughs> right? I mean, for example, we have Thai milk tea, which is very sweet, you know, look a bit orange, orangey, you know. <laughs> Whereas, you know, in, in Hong Kong and in Taiwan, they put bubble into it, something like that. But I mean, but this sort of convey an excellent message of certain intertwining similar ideology across students in the Asia-Pacific, that they want to break down the wall set up by traditional elites, that they want to open up a space for younger generation to take the lead. And I think Thai students look up to their Hong Kong counterpart quite a lot. You know, I mean, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the motto of it, right, the motive of it, almost very similar. There could be some differences, for example, some tactics, this and that. Some tactics among Thai students can be uniquely Thai, which can be very different from the other two locations, but I can see the difference. I can see the similarity between these protests. And to what extent is there communication between um, student leaders in these various protests? Is it most, mostly just the example that is out there, or are they actually talking with one another and, and trying to learn and support each other? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's go through a variety of, of channels. They can look at each other example you know, through social media, through the front page of the newspaper. And I am sure that, you know, they have direct contact among, you know, the leader of, of, of this location. For example, you know, the Thai student once invited Joshua Wong from Hong Kong. And then when he arrived at the Bangkok airport, then he was, <laughs> he was refused entry at the request of the Chinese government. But yet that underlie you know, a kind of personal alliance uh, between uh, Thai and Hong Kong youth. And also, during uh, the during this series of protests in Thailand, a group of Thai students, and we have a lot of them in Taipei, organized uh, event in Taipei, large events, which were also participated by young Taiwanese as well. So... They, they even asked me, you know, to, to phone in and to give sort of moral support to, to, to the protests in Taipei too. Mm-hmm. And, and to what extent are international actors concerned about what's happened in Thailand either and offering support or potentially offering support either in, in support uh, of the status quo or in support of the student protesters? Is this something that's just happening inside Thailand or are there, are there outside? Well, I'm very disappointed when it comes to assistance from uh, international community. Of course, you, you have the obvious, you have the obvious reliable players, for example, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, you know, coming to help students when they have been harassed or arrested. But when you talk about responsible government, especially in the West, I am disappointed. Uh, and I know that, you know, I mean, throughout my 10 years of campaign for demo- democracy in my own country, we have, li- we have received little help and, and assistance, you know, for example, from the U.S. government, from European government. In fact, the European governments might be doing more than the U.S. government. Well, right now, okay, if you want to be fair, as especially, you know, in the, in the current situation, if you want to be fair with them, all those countries have been affected by COVID. So that's why, I mean, for them to think about foreign policy initiative, 
especially coming out to help you know Thai protests, it might be something unimaginable because the U.S. government now you know being uh, submerged in a number of of domestic issues. But I mean, if you only step back and looking at long term picture, especially in terms of U.S. role and democratization process in Thailand, again that is a big disappointment. I would be brief here that. I think it has been a tradition in the foreign policy calculation of the United States to continue to see the military and the monarchy as their long-term allies, instead of you know willingly and genuinely going there to support you know grassroots pro-democracy movement, because they only have this idea which came out of the Cold War. But yet, even when the Cold War has ended. The U.S. continue to be trapped in their own mentality. They only perceive that you know if the monarchy and the military are kept well and alive, the political interest of the U.S. would be intact. And I think it's now is now time for the U.S. to change this mindset. Do you have any hope if there, you know, the current administration has not offered support so far? Do you imagine it would be different if Joe Biden were to become president, or is it more of a longer-term orientation of U.S. foreign policy that's unlikely to change? Yeah, I mean, this is a very difficult uh, issue to talk about. You know, whether whether the U.S. was more democratic vis-a-vis Thailand. When the U.S. was under Democrat Party, then it's again very difficult to argue. Remember, you know, uh, for example, Condoleezza Rice, you know, many times she canceled her trip to even participate in ASEAN meeting. You know, <laughs> so I mean, this goes to show how Southeast Asia ranked so low in foreign policy agenda of the U.S. So I mean, to be honest, I do not have high hope for the next government, even if it would come from Democrat. Party. So you yourself said that it might be something that the U.S. have to think about its long-term strategy, especially now with the rise of China. You know, the U.S. can can no longer play, uh, you know, carrot and stick. You know, if Thailand behave well, then you know U.S. would go a little bit further. But you, the U.S. must now uh, reconceptualize its position. You, the U.S. must think that long. Uh, Democratization process, especially especially sustainable democracy in Thailand, would serve better for long term interests of U.S. with or without the rise of China. And I only hope that you know, the U.S. would now see the reality in Thailand. As we look forward, what should our listeners be looking for to understand how these events are playing out in, in Thailand? What are the most important things? Because there will be headlines coming out, you know, day after day about these events. But as they read through this and come to, to, to watch what's happening, what should they focus on? I think they have to focus on the student courage. I have to say that these students, they are more courageous than me when I was at their age. And that this is something that would never come by very easily. And then at, I say this so many times that as someone who have campaigned for monarchical reform myself, you know, I would only have to give them a commendation. And then I think the government, Western government, should give a lot of support to the student and then should now understand that, you know, whatever you want to do with Thailand, either, you know, you want to maintain political connection with the Thai government, whether you want to invest in Thailand, whether you want to have this kind of, you know, linkage with big business in the kingdom, 
you have to be also be able to talk about the role of the monarchy, because you know by not talking about it, you would only hide the real problem in Thailand, and I don't I don't think that would be good again for the long term relationship, either the U.S. or European Union or whatever country to have with Thailand. The monarchy is so important. And hold immense power in my country, you know, to be able to talk about uh, democ- democracy in real term. This country we have to confront the most difficult issue in Thailand. You can no longer not seeing the big elephant in the room when you are in when you are actually in the room. No, 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 you can't do that anymore. So. Pavan Chachaval Pongpon, I want to thank you so much for being on on Deep Dish and helping us understand uh, what's happening in in Thailand. Thank you so much, and thank you for tuning into this episode. Looking for more Deep Dish in your week? Please tap the subscribe button in your podcast app so you can get each and every new episode as it's released. You can find our show under Deep Dish on Global Affairs wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, please tap share and send it to them as well. As a reminder, the opinions you heard belong to the people who express them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. This episode is produced by Molly Meyer, edited by Andy Zarnecki, and coordinated by Kira Dari. I'm your host, Brian Hansen, and we'll be back soon with another slice of Deep Dish. Deep Dish.